Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. September 16th, 2022, and that means there's 100 days left until Christmas. Today on the show, it's a Burr Month's bonus episode. We're going to take a look at some Christmas news that just came out of the D23 Expo, including a deep dive into the Muppet Christmas Carol 30th anniversary panel with special guest Dave from Nostalgia. Also, as promised, we've got your answers to the latest round of Recastmas Time. Okay, let's start the show! Welcome, Yule Believers, to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, the show all about Christmas history, Christmas traditions, Christmas media, and everything else Christmas. Normally, we come out on the 25th of each month, but today we're doing a Burr Months bonus episode to celebrate 100 days left until Christmas. Of course, the Burr Months are the months that end in Burr, September, October, November, and December. That's sort of our way of letting us know that we're getting even closer to Christmas. And let me tell you, what started out as just a tiny extra episode turned out to be super awesome, thanks to the fortuitous timing of the D23 Expo and the fact that today's extra special guest, Dave from Nostalgia, was in attendance and agreed to be on our show! Which leads me to our first segment, All I Want for Christmas is News. Baby, all I want for Christmas is news. Yeah. Give me that news, baby. Yes, the D23 Expo was last weekend, and for those of you who don't happen to be Disney nerds, the D23 Expo is kind of like Comic-Con, but for Disney. They make announcements and presentations about upcoming projects from the movies, the theme parks, Disney+, Plus, you know, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, all of that stuff. And they also take time to celebrate the people who went into making our Disney favorites over the years. This particular expo, there was two Christmas-related panels that I thought were worth discussing. First up, the Santa Clauses. Tim Allen is back in the role of Scott Calvin, regular guy turned Santa Claus, in this six-episode Disney Plus series that's a sequel to the Santa Claus film series. The show is about Scott retiring from being Santa and passing on the role to someone new. Now, we knew all of this before the expo, but when Tim Allen took the stage at D23, he talked about what got him back into the Santa suit. We thought about this for a long time, and I said, I love this, the Santa Claus so much. The only way i do this, if you could somehow, I'm an old Marvel superhero guy, you answer some of the background. You answer some questions, you get me interested. It's all about script. And they answered the question I've always wondered is, how come the elves weren't worried that I showed up at the Santa Claus at the North Pole first time? Yeah. And what happened to the guy that slid off the roof? What happened? <laughs> that scared the heck out of me as a kid. Yeah. I was a kid when I did it. It was like 700 years ago. <laughs> Now, I think that's super interesting, because that's one of the many head-scratchers I've had about the Santa Claus movies over the years. Like, I feel like I could do an entire episode on just the contract that's the basis for all three films. 
But it's nice to know we'll also be filling in the gaps of what happened before Scott Calvin put on the suit. But it's not going to be all looking back. Scott and his wife Carol, a.k.a. Mrs. Claus, played by the returning Elizabeth Mitchell, have two teenagers, and they have spent their whole lives growing up in the North Pole. Now they are ready to experience the rest of the world. So thanks to the panel and the presentation, we're getting more of an idea of what the plot is going to be. They also dropped a teaser for the show, which showed, among other things, that Bernard is back. Yes, Bernard the Elf, played by David Krumholtz, who hasn't been seen since the Santa Claus 2, will be back for the Santa Claus's series. They also announced that Eric Lloyd, who played Scott's son Charlie in all three movies, will also be returning. So we'll be looking forward to the Santa Clauses when the first two episodes drop on Disney Plus November 16th. I, Santa Claus, have decided to retire. <laughs> we have a grief concert, right? But the other big Christmas event at D23 was the panel for the 30th anniversary of the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's the season to be jolly and joyous. Fa la la. With a burst of pleasure, we feel it alive. Fa la la. It's the season when the saints can employ us to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive. Sadly, as much as I love the Muppets in general and this movie specifically, I couldn't be there. Fortunately, I know a guy. Not just any guy, a guy with experience going to the D23 Expo and talking about it on a podcast people actually listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Christmas Cave, Dave from Nostalgia. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being had. <laughs> so, it is a weird coincidence that you're on to talk about the Muppet Christmas Carol, because our second ever Muppet Vember, which we do every November, we talk about the Muppets. Uh, we had Jeff and Kristen on to talk about Muppet Christmas Carol, and <laughs> you couldn't be on because you were out of town. Yeah. So, Checks so out. now this is your chance to get in on the Muppet Christmas Carol talk and action. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad I can be part of this. But I think before we get into any of that, I, I'm sure I'm sure most people who have tuned into this are nostalgia fans who want to know how are you, how have you been, do you miss nostalgia? What what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been doing good. Definitely busy uh, coming out of you know I guess somewhat I don't know how else to refer it to it, but uh, coming out of the pandemic, even though it's not really gone, but so yeah, the world has more or less been trying to come out of it. Uh, has been busy. Um, of course, there's a lot of things in the backlog of what we want to do as a family and with the kids and getting kids back into school and all that. So life's been busy and uh, doing traveling, of course, like we're going to be talking about this event. Uh, but good. And nostalgia, yeah, you know, definitely miss uh, a lot of aspects of it. And being at the expo with so many friends and listeners from the show, it was great to see them. And, you know, that's uh, definitely been the highlight of being a part of the podcast. So being able to connect with them, it reminded me just, you know, how special that whole community is. So definitely miss that and the, the additional opportunities to connect with those people. Yeah. I mean, it is good that it hasn't completely gone away with the best year ever still going on. Right. That's Which right. I've been enjoying. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, it's not, it's, it's still there in my heart. <laughs> yes. 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 We are, <laughs> you know, it's not dead yet, Jim. Um <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> so uh we'll we'll see what happens the you never know anything could happen uh anything <laughs> as could, you guys uh, found out in 2020 <laughs> yes uh I, you know we don't want to tempt fate so uh we'll just sorry sorry i shouldn't bring up memory sorry sorry <laughs> strike that from the record um 
But I, of course, when I saw that you were at D23 and I sheepishly asked if you were going to the Muppet uh, panel, uh, I was really hoping you were because I would love to have you, somebody who was there on to talk about it, especially someone who knows to ta- how to talk about Expos in an entertaining manner and has done so <laughs> for 15 years on his own podcast. Uh, so that's just quality content for me. So uh, how, how was the Muppet Christmas Carol 30th anniversary panel? Like, how what was the vibe in the room? Was it a big crowd getting in? You know, just, you know, I'll just turn it over to you. Like, like <laughs> pretend this is a, a quality podcast like Mousedalgia. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you you'd messaged me and you're like, hey, are you going to this finding chance? And I, I think I responded with hopefully or something to that effect. Yeah. Like I was very noncommittal because I didn't know uh, because before the the Muppet panel, it was the one of the big studio panels. And I was in there for that. And of course, that thing was clearly going to run long. It did run long. And by the time I got out of it, um it actually was 15 minutes past the start of the Muppet panel was supposed to be. Oh, so I kind of resigned myself like, well, it's of course at the opposite end of the expo. So like think of a, if you remember, I I know you've been there, like the opposite ends of that convention center. And then not only that, but Muppet was actually in the, the new building that was even further away. So you had to like go across the, the, the big walkway to get to that other building. So it's literally as far away as possible as could possibly be at the expo. And I was, it was already 15 minutes in. And so I was like, well, I'm just, I guess I'm not going to go, but I ran into another one of um, my friends and there. I saw them scurrying away and I was like, Hey, where are you going? You know, what am I missing out on? They're like, Oh, I'm going to the Muppets (laughs) panel. I promised that I was going to go to it to cover it for media. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'll go with you then. So I, I went along <laughs> and uh, we walked in. And as we were walking in, the the attendant told us, oh, yeah, they started late. It's you know only been about five minutes. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so uh, nice. it, it walked in and, with, and they were still doing introductions of the panelists. I don't know really what I missed before that, but um, it also felt fitting because when I think of Muppets, I think of chaotic and it felt like I was walking <laughs> in chaotically. So it seemed like the right tone to set with the whole experience. Um, but yeah, it, there was a huge line of people trying to get in still, even when we went in. Uh, so there was a lot of people, I don't know how many people fit in that room, but I would guess it was probably a couple thousand. Uh, there were a lot of people wanting to go see this panel. Uh, so we, I definitely felt, uh, happy and lucky. There seemed to be open chairs. I don't know if anybody got turned away. Sometimes they just decide to stop letting people in i don't know if that happened so but i hope everybody that wanted to get in there got in there i think that happened so but uh yeah so it was called um let's see here magic in the air 30 years of disney's the muppet christmas carol and uh the panelists for it were let's see here brian henson dave goals nina west was kind of the moderator uh paul williams and Polly smith so brian I mean, do you, do you know who all these people are? Do you, I didn't necessarily I've, walk it into it. I mean, obviously, we know who Brian Henson is. Yes. Uh, although, when I saw a picture of him, I'm like, oh, it has been 30 years <laughs> since I've seen a, a picture of you. I was like, he looks like Robert England from the Nightmare on Elm Street thing. 
the guy yeah. who plays Freddy Krueger. Like he kind of has like like what you know. Anyway, he's he's gotten older. Is not my only yes. point. And it's not yes. not meant as a dig. Like I have also gotten older. The same thirty yes. years have passed for me. I was yes. just not in my head. He is frozen as he was in nineteen ninety two. Yes, and Dave Coles. He's a um, I guess a Muppeteer. I guess in the in oh he's voice. Gonzo. Yeah. Uh, he's, and, he's like one of the only OGs that are still, well, he's like the main OG of like the, the three big characters, you know, Kermit, Fozzie and Gonzo. He's the only one still with the company. Right. Right. Yes. Uh, and Nina West, who's, uh, I guess a, a personality, uh, at large. And so she was the, <laughs> uh, 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 the moderator There was Paul Williams, who was the, um, uh, why can't I think of the right word? He wrote the music. Composer? Uh, composer, there's the word. Paul Williams. Uh, <laughs> ah, composer we did it. Music. <laughs> and Polly Smith was the um, the costume designer for uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, which is something I hadn't even thought about. I mean, we'll get there, I'm sure. But like, I hadn't even thought about the fact that there had to be a costume designer. Like, I just assumed the Muppets were birthed into this world wearing whatever they needed to. But of course, they need somebody to design the costumes just like anybody else. And but like, it's a different process because there's Muppets and it's a period piece. Like that had to be a whole different scenario. Yeah, like it was fascinating. Um, and she kind of even admitted like she didn't really knew what, know what she was getting into. Where you know most of the Muppets have pretty set costumes that they wear, and even if you think of the other movies, they don't they don't really have a whole lot of costumes involved, but here they, this was going to be a period piece they had decided. And so now they needed to make period costumes, which of course they didn't have necessarily in their, their, uh, their warehouses of, of costumes right. for all these characters. So now they did a bunch of uh, period costumes and have to custom make all of those on a very tight budget. Uh, but it was when they were talking about it, they said it was, you know, a lot of things you don't realize or notice, but like every one of those jackets has a liner in it and they have actual pockets in them and they're, you know, <laughs> designed towards period with the right, you know, materials and look and cuts as much as possible for a Muppet. Uh, but you know, it was really a lot and lot of detail and love went into the costumes that you would have not expected. But I mean, when you sit back and you look at the movie hearing that you're like of course there is but you just right you don't focus on it but when you actually look at it, you're like yeah that's really true you you just kind of take it for granted that's uh kind of unfortunate <laughs> yeah and they were talking about the production design like i didn't realize i mean i should have there was not a single exterior shot in this entire movie right even though it looks like the majority of it is but it's all forced perspective and stuff they built on a soundstage i'm like Oh, of course. Like, where would they go? Like, there's. <laughs> yeah, where would you film that, right? With mu- right. Muppets like, and everything. <laughs> yeah, not only are you trying to recreate a bygone time period, you need to create it to scale with Muppet characters and also have the floor be cut out so that a Muppet person can stand underneath Kermit the entire time. Right. Right. But like when they're ice skating, I just assumed they were outside ice skating. Like it never even thought <laughs> I never even occurred to me until I heard them talk about it on the panel. Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was really cool to kind of hear about that and like the challenges that went along with it. But they really spent a lot of detail on it. And, you know, he talked to kind of about the budget and where it was really a small, very tight budget. Uh, 
in, and I think he even said it was, I think he may have even made the claim. It was like the smallest budget of the movies. That he did made. say that he said, and I was, I, uh, when I, we did like, I, like I said, we, uh, when I had Jennifer, Jennifer, Jeff and Kristen became Jennifer, one person, which is neither of their names. <laughs> uh, when I had Jeff and Kristen on to talk about this, this was a fact. I didn't even know that this was the lowest budgeted Muppet movie there was up till that point. I'm like, but, that's crazy, because it definitely does not look on the screen like a low-budget movie. No, not with how many characters there are. Like we said, the costumes, they do not look like low-budget costumes. The sets, everything about it, nothing is feels low-budget about it, I, I don't think, anyways. Um, but yeah, it was a low-budget film, They but they wanted to make it, and they, they were all passionate about it and put their blood, sweat, and tears into making it an amazing, amazing thing. Another thing I uh, I heard at the panel, this was from Brian Henson that I didn't know when I when we did the our last thing about this. Uh, I didn't know this was originally supposed to be a movie for ABC, and then they decided to switch it over to be a a feature film. Like I I had none that never came across that in my backstory. <laughs> so Bill slipped it to Jeffrey Katzenberg, who then calls and says, "I, I read this script for ABC. It's fantastic. I, I'm stealing from ABC. I want it as a movie." And, and my agent said, the great news is, it was going to be a $3 million TV special. I got $5 million for the movie. I'm like, I cannot make it for $5 million. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Um, and I think there's kind of like an interesting side of the, to that, which when... But well, first of all, yes, like it was low, it was low budget. And of course, they decided they're going to do this for the theater, which is a big change, but also smart. Um, but there was kind of a, a downside that went along with that, where I guess they were doing a test screening. And uh, I think a kid had to go to the bathroom and which that <laughs> meant. And Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, well, we're going to have to cut time out of it because, you know, here we've lost the attention of the kid and it's too long. So we need to cut it. And so what do they decide to do? They decide to cut when love is gone, sequence, song, everything from it. And the Brian was very unhappy about that, did not want to cut it. Like this is a beautiful part of view of the story, a beautiful scene, a beautiful sequence, like, you know, it kind of ties everything together. You know, I, I, I was talking to somebody else. They're like, the ending doesn't really make sense if you don't have that part. Like it feels a little confusing if you don't know that that is supposed to be there. But he convinced Jeffrey Katzenberg that like it would be cut from the theater but okay, we're going to add it later on, you know, for TV, we can add it because, you know, if kids need to go to the bathroom or whatever, like it's less of an issue at home. Uh, if it's on DVD, VHS, whatever, uh, it's not going to be a problem. You know, people can pause it. So, and I guess he can see it and say, fine, okay, we can, we can do that. But uh, years go by and they got requested to do a 1080 remaster of the movie and they could not find the car or, okay. I skipped the part. So when they do is they, <laughs> I guess they, they, they did the whole film. They, you know, they have the negatives, they print to the negatives and they make copies. And I guess the series, the whole idea is you don't want to mess with that negative too much, right? Like that is just the, the gold, gold standard of what this film is. So they start off with, they make four copies of that. Then they take the negative kind of put it away and it becomes sacred and nobody can touch it ever again. And those four <laughs> copies, then they make copies of that. So then they make like, it was something like 16 copies of each of those. And then those are used to make copies that go out to the theaters kind of thing where there's this whole kind of multiple layers. 
and they made the cuts before i think at that first layer i think they made some the cuts of okay we're gonna take out the uh that song and um you know put it to theater i think they there was maybe some copies for vhs but when they got to the 1080i they couldn't find the copy that had the song still in it uh and so for a long time we haven't had it but as luck would have it they found one of those original uh copies and uh that is now going to be released on disney plus which is huge huge exciting thing that we're going to be able to have the full version with the song available on disney plus december 11th i believe yes so that that was a really exciting thing. The crowd definitely got super excited about that. And it's funny because when I because I I remember like I remember seeing it in theaters with the song, but I know it must be a false memory because apparently it never was. But I only owned the VHS and the DVD until Disney Plus came out, so I've only seen it with the scene still in there. <laughs> apparently, if you buy if you bought the Blu-ray, it's gone. And I think other I think even other like higher def dis- DVD releases don't have it. Mm-hmm. But the two versions I have always had had it in it. And so like when I f- was doing research about this a couple years ago to talk about on the show, I went and watched the the version without it in there. And it is so jarring. Like, I don't know how people got through that scene. Right. Like, it makes no sense because like, it's that it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a falling out of love song as Paul Williams said at the panel and it's sad. And so like Gonzo and Rizzo are there. And then like they, in the cut version, like they have a brief conversation and bell leaves without for, with, for no reason. It seems like, like it just seems like, well, this ain't working. And then she just bounces. And then Rizzo is unconsolably crying. <laughs> when, yeah, there's Which obviously makes sense. huge touching situation that goes on <laughs> in the story about the love. And, like, and it's all gone. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's especially for a character who has been, you know, very detached through a lot of this movie. Like all of a sudden he was so invested in that five second conversation <laughs> that he's moved to tears. And not only that, there's a reprise of the song just at the very end of the movie where he says, the love you found instead of the when love is gone. And then during the closing credits, Martina McBride sings the typical 90s pop version of the Disney song that happens in the movie, which again, if you haven't, if you're in the theater, you're like, what is Martina singing about? (laughs) I've never heard this before now. And all of a sudden she's singing about her lost love. We were watching a Christmas carol. What are you doing, Martina? Sit down. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was it's brian clearly admitted like that was it was weird it was jarring for people like yeah it, he knew it but you know he he did what he had to do right like that's that's the that's the deal when you're you know making a film but speaking of the song we had this awesome awesome privilege where jody benson came out to sing when love is gone live on stage so ariel we have ariel coming out to sing it and she did make (laughs) a quick little jibe where it was like well you know what jeffrey katzenberg tried to cut one of my songs too which was part of this world from the little mermaid thankfully it didn't get cut and she said the story there was uh during a screening the little boy dropped his popcorn and was more concerned about picking up every single popcorn kernel than <laughs> listening to the song. So he decided, you know, Jeffrey decided like maybe we could cut this song because they've, we've lost the interest of this one child. So she was, she felt very uh, understanding of the situation. That they were in. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like maybe you shouldn't base your entire cinematic editing experiences off of children in theaters. <laughs> Yes. The love is gone. The love is gone. 
So they also talked about Michael Caine and how, you know, uh, I think it was specifically uh, the costume designer was talking about how, like, she kind of anticipated Michael Caine, you know, being this huge actor would be maybe he, she didn't use the word, but kind of, you know, prima donna or be like very, you know, difficult to work with. But he was just really amazing and really like, you know, put his costume on and just like went, you know, he wasn't fussing with it. He just went went to work right away and and brian said that you know when michael kane decided to join the project like he decided the only way i can do this and do it well is if i just absolutely commit to this whole situation and i have to treat everything as straight as possible like this needs to be a straight deal like i can't just you know break the fourth wall or you know try to like uh not take it seriously or anything like that it needed to be just I believe that I am in this world and these Muppets are a real thing, but that he was great to work with and they seem to all have a lot of respect for him, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And it, I mean, it definitely, like he said, like something like he was going to treat this, not like he was playing with the Muppets, but like he was playing with the Royal Shakespeare company. Yes. 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 It totally like the, the reason it works is because he has that anchor to reality while the, where the Muppets have free reign to be levels of zany and serious all around him, like, like madly shifting in tone sometimes where like, and it even allows like Gonzo, Gonzo, like his name is Gonzo. <laughs> He's the straight man for some of his scenes with Rizzo. And that only works because you have someone who is even more of, you know, like the actual, you know, like classic the- thespian, trained actor you know that's anchoring this thing down where you can be like this is too ridiculous even for gonzo so that's why he's reacting to this rat that way and like yeah and i I, his performance absolutely makes no disrespect to all the muppet performance and the amazing job they did but it works because it's on the back of michael kane holding this all up and being like all right this is serious and it's happening and we're going to take it seriously and we're not going to be winking at the camera like "Eh, look at this Eh?" (laughs) exactly <laughs> He's got ping pong balls for eyeballs, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I feel like you can sometimes, you know, when you see these different performances with Muppets, like people have a hard time kind of keeping the straight face or like looking at them. Like you, you can almost tell they're looking at the the Muppeteers instead of at the actual oh, characters, yeah. or like it just feels a bit off. But you don't feel that, I think, with uh, with Michael Caine's performance here. He seemed to really engage with the Muppets themselves. And I will say there is a way to do it the other way, like Tim Curry did in Muppet Treasure Island, where he is eating every bite of that scenery. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you either have to like completely go the other way or match them like crazy right. for crazy. And that's right. like there's the, there's really no any time anything in between there. And it just feels like a phony performance. But like, right. yeah, that <laughs> uh let's see here what else uh what did what, did you have any other um parts of it that you know kind of caught your attention uh well i'd i'd heard that paul williams had said uh that he was like he had just he had recently at the time stopped oh. drinking and like i guess his escapades while drinking had kind of put his career like mm-hmm. on uh, flagged his career and this was like a, a resurgence of his career i'm like i had no idea i thought paul williams was always just you know being paul williams 
any time he needed to. Like I didn't know, I didn't know that there were issues with that. Yeah, it was you know there were a couple of things there. Like Brian Hansen said, like if I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I want to have music in it, and if I'm going to have music in it, I have to have Paul Williams because the only ones that I really like the music for were the ones that he did. So I need <laughs> him to do it. And yeah, like Paul Williams, he, it really felt like you know this. The whole Muppet Christmas Carol is really a redemption story, right? It's it's that's what it's about, and mm-hmm. it seemed like he was channeling his attempt at redemption and his personal experiences into the story when he was writing the music. It was really, you know, coming from him. And, uh, you know, he seemed to, when he was talking about it, he seemed like it was, it just kind of flowed and it was almost a a spiritual situation for him to write this music. And it was, it was really touching to like hear him talk about it. Like he really, put his heart and soul into this movie. And I think that I had been thinking about it a long time, and I think the power, the creative power in all of us sitting here is in our unconscious. At its most un, most undiluted, when it, at its most absolute, it is ego-free, and you get out of the way, and you go, well, come on and let the ideas come. And it's spectacular that it paints you with indifference, like a lady punched with rouge. And the worst of the worst, and that most changed the curse was the one that they call screwed. Oh, there was Mr. Humbug, there was Mr. Grimm. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. What the hell, where did that come from? It's just, you know, but I put my name on it, words and music by Paul Williams, you know. And it's it, it's funny, like it, on a, as a redemption story, it works on several levels because also this was the first Mupp- major Muppet project since Jim Henson has died. Mm-hmm. So it's like this was the thing that said like, can Muppets work in a post Jim Henson world? Yeah. And so in in that way, it was kind of a redemption. Redemption is maybe not the right word, but kind of like you got to prove yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But uh, yeah, it was a fantastic panel. I, I you know, I. Like I said, I almost missed it, and I'm really glad I was able to attend. You know, I, I Muppets never disappoint. Uh, so and, true. And and I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I think, you know, I I was worried I was just going to be too late. I was going to be missing it, but uh, I'm glad that glad that I was able to attend. And of course, come here and talk about it. I think the thing that you may have missed at the very beginning was they introduced like Gonzo, Piggy, Kermit, uh, Robin. And I think one other character and they just and uh, the host just sort of interviewed them a bit. Oh, uh, OK. OK. Because I saw they came back out and sang at the end. But yes, at the very yeah. beginning, I guess they were just asking them questions like, you know, how they were actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like Piggy was like, yeah, when I, I definitely took this part because it had Oscar written, written all over it. Everyone's <laughs> like, you haven't won an Oscar. You didn't win an Oscar for this. <laughs> and then Robin said something to the effect of like, oh, Danny Jim was a great part. But when it was over, I felt there was so much more that could be done with the character. Which is why Disney has just put a tiny, tiny Tim spin-off series into development. What? What? Yeah, they have Christmas Carol 2, Tiny Tim, The Winter Soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Tiny Tim, Young and Thunder. but I, i'm not i'm not gonna lie i might watch a tiny tim miniseries if they came up with one 
I'm sure it would be fantastic. No doubt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much. It is a, so great to have you on here to talk about this, and B, just great to hear you again, <laughs> just <laughs> selfishly because I wanted to hear your voice again. <laughs> well, I appreciate the invite, and you know, I'm glad I was able to attend and be able to, you know, report back on what I saw and everything. Uh, Would have felt like I let you down, so I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with <laughs> you that. You could never let us down. <laughs> you could never let us down. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of pressure for the future. <laughs> I, but I did let you down because there was a, there was another Muppets panel that I didn't go to, so I probably let you down because of that. Oh, well, there wasn't a Christmas-related one, so this podcast <laughs> is not concerned. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so the best year ever is still going on a Nostalgia all year. Yeah, this, that's right. The clap... The, so how I, I I probably should have asked this at the beginning, but how, or I don't know if you want to give away the Colonel Sanders secret recipe, but like how are you picking the episodes that go into it? Yeah, those are the we each took a chunk of or you know a number and we're like, okay, I will go find my favorites, you know, ones from you know our catalog, and then I'm going to talk a little bit of beforehand about why it was special to me and share those with the listeners. So we tried to split it up across everybody so we can kind of get uh, the best of all of our opinions of what we liked and enjoyed. And, you know, each one has its own, you know, memories associated for us. So, uh, yeah, I thought we thought it would be a special way to like, not just replay, you know, a best of, but provide a little bit more context of why it was special. Uh, so hopefully people, people seem to be enjoying it and, uh, you know, being like, Oh yeah, I remember this was a great one. And I liked it because of X, Y, and Z and stuff. So, it seems to be going over really well. Like, I definitely do like it, but I am also one of the weirdos who constantly just goes back through the archives and will listen to old <laughs> episodes randomly. Yeah. Well, we do have quite a few different episodes about Muppets. So, like, if there are people that want to know more about Muppet mm-hmm. stuff, there's stuff definitely in our catalog uh, that you could uh, go listen to. We've talked to various people, and, like, I remember Kristen did a tour of the Muppet Studios. Like, if you're a Muppet person, we've got definitely a bunch of Muppet content there. And... They got they've got plenty of episodes about Disney related Christmas stuff, which is some of yes. my favorite Christmas yes. stuff and some of my favorite Disney stuff. So it works <laughs> out all together. That's right. And also, I noticed uh, you guys have you and Becky have started uh, posting again on your Mouse Ears in Paradise blog. So I wanted to give that a plug. Yeah, that's a that's definitely uh, something from our family that we're trying to do is just uh, share, you know, kind of uh, some of our adventures, uh, trips and tricks that we're coming up with. And we're trying to give a voice to our uh, our kids as well. So our 11 year old now we've had her write some articles just to try and get that perspective. I feel like you can go and do all the searching and Googling about you know, different experiences and, you know, you know, do our kids going to enjoy this and you might hear it filtered through the parents, but I wanted to give her a chance to be able to just give her first hand experience and opinion about movies or, uh, we have one about, you know, what's it like on a cruise, uh, to give her perspective on that. So trying to give it a, a slightly different angle than I think I've seen out there and, uh, other blogs and, and sites. So yeah, that's what we're trying nice. to do with it. Make it a family thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's at mouseinparadise.com. Nice. That's right. Link in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you again, Dave, for coming on. Absolutely. Uh, anytime. Maybe uh, have, I'll come back anytime. All right. It's a date. <laughs> thank you all 
great to talk to Dave and to learn more about the Muppet Christmas Carol. Now it's time to move on to our final segment, Recastmas Time. We're simply having a wacky Recastmas Time. All year, I'm asking you to recast the movies and specials we know and love every Christmas to see if you can make something new, exciting, or at the very least, interesting. Last time, I had you recastmas the Rankin-Bass classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Let's see what you came up with. Matthew wrote in saying, Because you are a 70s and 80s kid like me, I thought a fun recast would be the Brat Pack. The Brat Pack ran the 80s. Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. So Matthew assigned the roles thusly, Rudolph, Emilio Estevez, Sam the Snowman, Rob Lowe, Hermit the Elf, Anthony Michael Hall, Yukon Cornelius, Judd Nelson, Santa Claus, Andrew McCarthy, Mrs. Claus, Demi Moore, Clarice, Molly Ringwald, Misfit Toys, Tim Babb can handle all the Misfit Toy voices, Mrs. Donner and Comet the Coach, Tim Babb's mom and dad. First of all, Matthew, you totally have me pegged, and I'm a total 80s kid. And Brat Pack Rudolph would be amazing. I don't know if I could do all the voices of the Misfit Toys, though, but I appreciate your faith in me. Yeah, you gotta have a real talent for voices to do something like that. (laughs) Thanks, imaginary listener. This sounds kind of like Mickey Mouse, but for copyright and trademark reasons, it's definitely not Mickey Mouse. Let's hear from Monica now. Monica's recast miss of Rudolph goes like this. Rudolph, Jeremy Maguire. He played Joe in Modern Family, and not only was he cute, but he also read off his lines really well for a young boy. Hermie the Elf, you, meaning me, Tim. It sounds strange, but when I rewatched parts of Rudolph recently for Recastmas, you kind of sound like him. Charlie in the Box, Steve Carell. Island of Misfit Toys, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I think they'd provide a beautiful musicality to the revamped version. Yukon Cornelius, Chris Rock. I love how you guys keep including me in these Recastmas things. And great choice for Rudolph as well. And of course, you gotta love Steve Carell. I could see him really making a meal out of Charlie in the Box. Finally, we have Gerald, who actually sent in some audio of his recastmas. Okay, Tim, this is Gerald from Michigan. I have a pretty interesting recasting of characters from uh, Rudolph. So we'll start. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer should be played by Eddie Murphy. Hermie by Chris Rock. Yukon Cornelius by Jack Black. Clarice by Liza Minnelli, the abominable uh, snowman, Carol O'Connor, who played Archie Bunker, Uh, Sam the snowman, Dick Van Dyke, Santa should be Joe Biden, Mrs. Claus should be Tisha Campbell. Uh, She was uh, on several shows, uh, comedy shows, and she's actually on a, a show right now. Uh, on Netflix, I believe it's Netflix with, um, Patrick Harris. Uh, then going on with the characters, Charlie in the box, uh, Donald Trump. Dolly should be played by Bette Midler. Uh, the spotted elephant, Kevin Hart. Airplane, Jim Neighbors. Donner, uh, Barack Obama. King Moonracer. Roseanne O'Donnell. I think that would be an awesome casting. Uh, so that's those characters. And continuing on, uh, Mrs. Donner should be Michelle Obama. Uh, Fireball would be Bernadette Peters, the Broadway star. Uh, Coach Tim Allen. I think he would be fun in that, that role. Uh, Clarice's father would be Ricky Ricardo from The Lucy Show. 
elf uh, foreman would be Robin Williams. And the last character I have is Hank. And that should definitely be played by Jimmy Kimmel. So those are my recommendations. I hope it would make for a very interesting production. Man, I would love to see that. Okay. Have a great one. If you had said to me, Tim, come up with the wildest recastmasing you can for Rudolph and left me alone for a year and gave me 1,000 tries, not one would come close to what we just heard. A few inspired choices in there. Dick Van Dyke would make it an amazing snowman. And I'm a huge Dick Van Dyke fan. And if you see him, you can tell him I said so. Plus, if he was a snowman, we'd get to hear him perform Holly Jolly Christmas, Silver and Gold, and of course, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I also like Eddie Murphy as Rudolph. He's got some great animated voices under his belt with Mushu from Mulan and Donkey from the Shrek movies. Ditto for Jack Black, who's great as Kung Fu Panda and would make a great Yukon. But so many great names in there. Robin Williams, Kevin Hart, Bernadette Peters. A lot of great things to imagine. You really took the sky's the limit philosophy and ran with it. Kudos. Thank you, Gerald, and thank you to all our Recastmas directors who wrote in with your choices. Now it's time to pick the next movie to Recastmas. And to keep with our D23 theme, let's go with The Santa Claus. Tim Allen has certainly made the role his own, but if you had to do a remake or reboot of the first Santa Claus movie, who would you pick? And let me save everyone the obvious answer right now. It would indeed be funny to cast Chris Evans, since Chris recently did a version of Tim Allen's other famous film role, Buzz Lightyear. And I'm sure Chris Evans would do a great job, but I'm taking him off the table for this round. <laughs> Other than that, go nuts. You can keep it consistent like you're a casting in a certain year, like Matthew did with the Brat Pack, or pluck any actors or actresses out of the time stream and put them in just how you like, like Gerald did with The World. <laughs> Or you can do any version of that in between. Just like the folks you heard today, you can send in your choices by email, christmas at tancast.com, Facebook, can't wait for Christmas pod, Instagram, can't wait for Christmas pod, TikTok, can't wait for Christmas pod, or Twitter, where we're just Christmas pod. Let us know who you would put in a remake of The Santa Claus so we can all have a wacky recastmas time. Oh, wait. Oh, there's one more email. Did I miss a recastmasing? It's from Jeff who says, hey, Tim. This has really been bugging me, so I want to give a suggestion for a renaming opportunity for a segment. The title Recastmas doesn't flow very well, in my opinion. Why not call it Merrycastmas? It has the re sound in it, and it flows pretty well. Thoughts? Wow, Jeff, that is actually a much better name. But unfortunately, I already made this jingle, but next time I'll work up a new jingle because that is a much better name. But for now, we gotta end with this. We're simply having a wacky Recastmas time. And that's our bonus episode. Thanks for stopping in for an extra dose of Burr Month's Christmas fun. And another huge thank you to Dave from Nostalgia for stopping by and giving us such a great report on the Muppet panel. Okay, I only have a little over a week to get working on the next regular episode, so I better get to it. I hope you're enjoying the Burr Months now that they're here. I'll see you on September 25th with our next regular episode. And until then, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas... 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2022. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, Can't Wait for Christmas pod.com 
While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Normally, we come out on the 25th of each month, but Dave from Nostalgia. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being had. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I swear it's not COVID. Um, <coughs> not that you could catch it off down yeah. the microphone or anything. <laughs> Like, I feel like maybe you shouldn't base your entire cinematic editing experiences off of children in theaters. <laughs> yes. Although, on the other hand, if if they'd had my seven-year-old in a, a test screening of the new Space Jam, maybe when he started, instead of watching the screen, turning around and watching the flickering lights because he found that more entertaining, maybe <laughs> they could have made some cuts and saved that movie. <laughs> Because that legit happened. Yes, you got to read the room a little better. <laughs> and my, my my older son was there was a scene from Mad Max Fury Road that I don't know if you've seen Space Jam, the new legacy, or whatever it was called. I have not seen it. No. Oh well, spoilers. Uh, not really though. They uh, <laughs> they visit a bunch of other Warner Brothers movies and just insert Looney Tunes into it. And at one point, they're in the middle of Mad Max Fury Road, and my son turns to me and goes, "What is this?" What is this from? I was like, oh, it's from a movie called Mad Max Fury Road. And I saw the look on his face that said, those words mean nothing to me. <laughs> but I feel like if I ask any more questions, it's not going to get any better. So I'll just give up. <laughs> yeah, it seems like how many kids would have seen that movie? Presumably, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I haven't even seen that movie. And I'm writing its target demo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like The Matrix and all these other and Game of Thrones. I'm like, yeah, the kids love Game of Thrones. They're all <laughs> up in it to win it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry. Side note. Anyway, <laughs> side notion about uh, kids and uh, editing your movies. <laughs> well, you know, hopefully they've learned since then and uh, continue to learn, learn in the future. Thank you again. Oh, the yeah. best part is you don't, you don't have to edit this. That this is, this is all part, my yeah. problem. <laughs> Monica's recastmas for Rudolph is Rudolph Jerry Maguire. No, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Show me the Rudolph! <laughs> but that kid never hears that joke, and he's too young to even know what that movie is. He's got some great animation voice work under his belt with movies like Mulan and the Shrek, flu and the Shrek flicks. Shrek flicks! <laughs>